to heal relationships, people that are close to us, family members? How might we engage in this world that brings a measure of love and hope and healing? The only way to do that is to, is to embody the power of grace. Grace is God's one-way love. It's not conditioned on anything. It's one thing to say God loves. It's another quite different thing to say God is love. If we say that God loves, then the object of love is really what matters most. In other words, if I, if I, I might say I love steak. But if I eat steak every single night, I'm probably not going to love it as much. But if we say, in other words, that God is love, that means that the very character of God is love. That means that all that God can do is love. No matter what the object of that love is, God's love is the most important thing. And it's so hard for us to wrap our minds around unconditional love because so much love is transactional. And what Jesus is doing today is he is disrupting our thinking about what love really is. He's inviting us to open our minds to our broader understanding of love. And he's encouraging us to move more deeply into a way of being, finally, that is grace. Which is the only thing that can really heal hearts that are broken. One of the first people that has sort of talked to me and uh, through his books and t taught me a lot about grace is a man called Brennan Manning. I don't know if you've ever heard of Brennan Manning. But Brennan Manning grew up in a, in a family where there wasn't much grace, where there was a lot of expectation, kind of suffocating expectation. And he was expected to be sort of the perfect child. That, and, and he tried to do everything that he could to please his parents. He tried everything he could to please the people around him. He was caught up in a kind of social family legalism. And finally, it, it just got to him, and he, as he grew older, he, he began to drink. And, and he sort of fell out of his, his, the life that he was living in, into the streets. And there was a, a, a Catholic priest... That, that took him aside and said, Brenning, I want you to know, while life has been so hard, I want you to know that you're, that you're loved and that I love you. And Brennan said as though it was that sort of grace, right? That was grace. That wasn't love that was merited. It was grace. That consistent, faithful love that the Scripture speaks about when they speak of Jesus as the pioneer of our faith. Grace is pioneering. And then finally, Brendan got onto his feet and he wrote a book in which he said these words. Honest to God, the God of so many Christians I meet is a God who's too small for me. Because he's not the God of the Word, he's not the God revealed in and by Jesus who comes to you at this moment and says, I have a word for you. I know your whole life story. I know every skeleton in your closet. 
I know every sin, shame, dishonesty, and degraded love that's darkened your past. Right now, I know your shallow faith, your feeble prayer life, your inconsistent discipleship, and my word for you is this. I dare you to trust that I love you just as you are and not as you should be because you're never going to be as you should be. We're never going to be as we should be. Our family members are never going to be as they should be. The people that are getting out our way in the traffic <laughs> are never going to be as they should be. So what do we do? Do we ratchet up the law and the expectations more and burn it all down? Or do we begin to think about healing and transforming grace? Now, a person who's taught me a lot about grace is this guy right here. Jimmy? We thought we'd have a little bit of fun this morning and, and talk about grace. We have been friends for nearly 20 years. And uh, space and time uh, has not taken anything from that. Uh, this man has been for me grace. When I have questioned myself, when I have worried too much, when I've catastrophized, you know, when you spin it all around your mind all night long. <coughs> he's never judged me, except around my fishing. Um, <laughs> so we do that for each other. Exactly. So, Jimmy, let, let, you and I have had brokenness in our lives, and we've had a lot of grace. And I just, I wonder if, if we could sort of think about. Um, the disruptive power of grace. Because that's what Jesus is doing. He's, he's stirring us up. So, what do you think grace in marriage looks like? What is a lack of grace, and what do you think grace in marriage looks like? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, Cindy and I have been married for 27 years. Um, we were married when we were quite young, 24 years old and in that sort of first evolution of our marriage the first real full circuit uh, there was this um, we used this metaphor one with another and with our therapist um, around pushing carts uphill and um, the metaphor was like you know can't you see like I'm pushing this cart uphill, I'm pushing this cart uphill, and it's so heavy, it's so heavy. And then Cindy would say, like, can't you see I'm pushing a cart up the hill, and it's so heavy, and you keep putting stuff into my cart, and I keep taking it out, putting it back into your cart. So there was this, if we're talking about the virtuous life, the Christian life that Thomas Aquinas talks about, we were measuring our marriage with justice, like what's fair. And I think any of us who've been through that full rotation in life, in marriage, in partnering relationships, has a sense of this. there's nothing fair about a marriage, right? Um, and I'm not even saying whether it's happy or sad yet, but there's nothing fair about it. And so the pendulum swings maybe in the second rotation the other way, and marriage becomes about mercy. It becomes about grace, mercy. Just another word for grace is how do I accept Cindy for 
who she is fully and completely and how does she accept me for who I am fully and completely, including um, the harm that we've done to one another in that first iteration of, of you know, justice-seeking, um, fairness-measuring, relating one to another. So I'm grateful to um, be in a place with her now where our relationship is about mercy. Now, to be clear, like I don't want to overstate it, we have to stay very mindful, very conscious of that reality because, you know, I still leave my pants on the floor and Cindy still leaves the cabinet doors open for some reason. <laughs> so there is a reality there, but it's mercy. It's yeah. mercy that informs the whole marriage, I think. Yeah. I, I think uh, in my, one of my uh, wife's old, my wife's oldest friend is right in the back, so please filter <laughs> this uh, when you talked about uh -oh. that. But um, you know, I think for for us in our early marriage, uh, I can only speak of, of me, is that uh, I was just not as very I was not particularly considerate because I had a, I had an important job, right? So I had to go as if raising three kids were not an important job. Right? Yeah, so I would come home and I would sort of, yeah, I'd kind of be tired, right? And I'd say, oh, you know, I've got to take a nap, I've got to get ready for this, that, and the other. And eventually she sort of called me out and she said, well, welcome home, Jesus, it's time to take out the trash. You know? and, uh, yeah, um, you can see Beverly doing that, can't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, what's, what's really, really interesting about marriage is how easy it is to say, you know, I marry this person so that they can uh, help fulfill all of my needs and dreams, right? As opposed to saying, okay, what does it mean to listen, to encourage, and to empower other people? Does anybody remember the movie uh, Bridges Over Madison County? Did you see that? Yeah. And there's this really sad scene where, where, um, the man says to his wife, um, I'm so sorry none of your dreams came true. And it was because he never really stopped to listen. Uh, it was about him. It wasn't about figuring out what the other person's dream was and saying, I'm here. It's, it's like shifting from selfish marriage to vocation, right? All right, so let's talk about uh, grace and parenting. Um... Yeah, that's uh, it's a little trickier move, maybe, because um, I think many of us who are positioned as parents um, ha have the idea in our minds that we are um, already just uh, overflowing with love because our children are the objects yeah. of our love. Um, so, so um, being fully conscious of, of where we are um, welcoming them for who they are is so important uh, in order to have a graceful parenting relationship with our kiddo. Mm -hmm. I know that lots of us, I, I sort of got, um, I sort of got a get out of jail free card on this, to be honest. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that's a great, greatest blessing and, and hardest curse or hardest, hardest hardship to endure in my life in that um, our older kiddo, Jazz, has, as you know, as many of you know, has quite significant special needs. 
And so um, he never responded to any of the measures that we have for kiddos. So even like, do you remember? I don't know if you remember this, those of you who are parents. Um, when you have a baby uh, right there in the delivery room, they give your baby the, the first report card. It's an APGAR score. Do you remember this term? Yes. And it's like, I, I know that there's like some scientific reasoning behind it where they're like, is the baby breathing? Is the baby responding? Is the, you know? But like the idea that our kids are like 45 to 90 seconds out of the womb and we're already gauging their achievements is an absurdity. Um, so for me, I feel like I got both the hardest lesson I've ever had to learn and the most graceful experience of my life by having this kid um, never respond to any, you know, it's like, well, is he meeting the, you know, developmental mile markers? No, never. And even, you know, in, in parenting jazz, it's a curious, uh, it's, a, it's a curious thing. Like jazz will, you know, every kid gets a report card because that's what schools do. And it would say like, Jas is a very smart young man. And I'm like, mm, he's not. He's not smart. He's very loving, very compassionate. He's exceedingly open. But like we Im we impose yeah, yeah. structure upon our kids. What what would you say? Yeah, I, it makes me think about um, uh, C.J. Young, the great psychoanalyst, said the big the biggest psychic burden on a child is the unlived life of their parents. Uh, and so when, you know, to, I mean, to your, your astute point, um, I think that's the, the big risk is that, you know, you want your kid to outdo you, you know, you make these big investment in your kids. And the kids these days obviously get so much pressure. Right? And we see this huge spike in teen uh, mental health. And when we, when we talk to teenagers about why things are so stressful for them, they point to a lot of different things, but they often point to the pressure that the parents put on them. And so when you ask kids also about why is it difficult to talk about mental health with your parents, they tend to say, because if I tell my parents I'm, I'm anxious and depressed, uh, they're going to get really worried and, and it's going to be worse for me, right? Um, and they also say that um, parents do not model their own vulnerability. They don't model their own struggle. So it's not sort of a safe place, you know? So I think, I think, I wonder if what grace looks like is um, being human, parents being human, sharing their own struggles, and, uh, and then helping their kids become the people that they are. You know, whether in your, you know, you have a daughter that's getting ready to climb a mountain today, and you have and you have jazz, you know. Yeah. I mean, you know, and and, yeah. and yet, what I watch in you, in your grace, is it's about them becoming who they are meant to be, right? Yeah. And that that so you move from a legalism, you must be this way, right? To we're going to help you become who you are. So. Yeah, it's a complicated move, and I was I was I was thinking about that, and I almost went with like Jade and. 
My daughter Jade is climbing Mount Moran today. She's going to drive by here any moment on her way to meet the guy and she and her friend Kate. And they won Dave the Grand last year. It's an incredible accomplishment. I mean, it's an, it's an incredible accomplishment. And um, I read her a note this morning because I was gone long before she would be up and moving. And, and uh, I want her to swing for the fences. I constantly tell her, let your freak flag fly. You can do hard things. And on that note, I was like, this is about the adventure, not the summit. Mm -hmm. You know, if you need to turn around, turn around. Mm -hmm. You don't have anything to achieve. You've already achieved it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I, Jimmy, I think we could sit here and talk all day about grace and work. Like, that's a big thing to think about, right? Most people live at work, right? They don't live at home. And most people report that they are miserable at work. So that invites us to think about what does it mean for us to build communities of encouragement, empowerment, of listening. But the thing I guess I want to uh, sort of wrap up with is grace doesn't happen until it happens to us first. So what does it mean for us to finally love ourselves? Uh, there was a great uh, preacher, John Claypool, who used to say, nothing can happen through you until it happens to you. Yeah. So I go back to Brennan Manning's words. Remember you're human. And that it's okay to be human. And that love and grace starts first at home. In your own life. So let's acknowledge all the pressures that we put on ourselves. Let's acknowledge the pressure that's put on us by culture. Let's acknowledge that that pressure has a way of really wounding us. And then let's ask for the power of God's grace. Let's do that right now. The Lord be with you. Almighty God, we give you thanks for being in this beautiful chapel on this amazing day. Help us today to begin to wrap our minds around your one-way love, your unconditional grace that you love us just as we are and not as we should be. Help us to set aside the shoulds and feel your healing love. Have some peace and joy about it, that it's good to be human. And Lord, from that place of self-acceptance and love, help us to offer that same love and grace to others because it's the only thing that can bring healing to the human heart and to the human family. Give us that grace this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.